Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chuck Jaffe. He's a personal finance journalist. He's a columnist at MarketWatch, and he runs a podcast called The Money Life Show. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Great to be here. For people who haven't heard about you before, just give a brief summary of your history in, in uh, journalism and personal finance journalism particularly. I, I will do that. So let's start with what's current. What's current, I'm still a nationally syndicated financial columnist, although syndication is something that's dying out in newspapers around the country, but I'm still in about a dozen of them around the country. I am the host of a daily one-hour podcast called Money Life, and it's Money Life with Chuck Jaffe, moneylifeshow.com. I'm no longer with MarketWatch. I was with MarketWatch for, for about 15 years. Before that, I was a columnist at the Boston Globe. Before that, I was an editor at a paper in Pennsylvania and what have you. So I've been a personal finance journalist dating back over 20 years now, writing about money and mutual funds and syndicated columnist since 1995. Uh, and my work is today available, like I said, at newspapers around the country, but I'm also writing a bunch of pieces for places like the Wall Street Journal and wherever else. What is it that you like about covering personal finance in particular and mutual funds and specifically? Well, when I started covering mutual funds, I was at the Boston Globe, and the idea of the editor at that point was that here in Boston, which was and probably still is the center of the universe for the mutual fund industry, we were going to cover the industry like nobody else. And, you know, mutual funds are this thing where, where everybody needs them and people think they understand them, but they don't always understand them. And, you know, over the course of my time, well, let's be honest, you know, Morningstar was barely a thing back in the 1994 timeframe when I started covering mutual funds. And people have had to go off and learn about these investment vehicles. And it's always changing. And yet it's also always bringing back the same kinds of things. I mean, you can see a lot of goofy stuff today. That was the same, just a new version of the goofy things I saw when I was first covering the, the industry. So there's a whole move towards so-called alternative investments, which are not traditional stock and bond mutual funds. First of all, maybe just describe what an alternative investment is. And what is the state of the alternative investment world compared to traditional stocks and bonds these days? Well, if you're going to think traditional stocks and bonds, a traditional alternative, if there's such a thing, would be anything that's not stocks, bonds, or cash. So in other words, real estate, gold, other precious metals, whatever you might do, and then if, let alone art or whatever you could come up with. But what happened was that after the financial crisis of 2008, where stocks and bonds went down in tandem, so there was not really any safe harbor, a lot of people wanted to look at alternative investments. And we saw this explosion in various types of alternative funds. And they were going way beyond real estate or precious metals. You'd get into what they called liquid alts funds, which were basically taking illiquid investments and trying to make them liquid, which sort of worked, but sort of didn't work and, and was never going to work if you wound up having a problem like on the market. So you saw different things happening, and yet 
the result was the industry said, oh, we love alts. Everybody should have alts. You should put 10 or 15% of your money into alternative funds. Funny thing happened. The bull market. And suddenly, alts weren't keeping up. And so we're down. A whole bunch of firms that were created and supposedly had great products, they've kind of died off. Today, you've got AQR, Cliff Asnes' firm, and 361. You've got a couple of firms like those that are doing really interesting things. But it's very funny that if you talk about alternative investments today to the average financial advisor who just a few years ago, three years ago, would have been pushing clients to get into them. Now they're saying, oh, maybe we don't need them so much. And that's part of the interesting evolution is that, hey, we can create things and they're new and they're different and they're better right up until they're not. And I think a lot of investors bought some of this stuff. And it's not just alternative investments being, let me get you different things besides stocks and bonds. There were then different ways of owning things. Like you could have a low volatility fund. You know, a minimum volatility fund is supposed to reduce volatility that you experience in your portfolio. But last year, volatility on the market was at record lows. And this year, when volatility has come back, minimum volatility fund haven't done so. So, you know, the industry can create a lot of things. But they're not. Okay. Uh, uh, Chuck, we're having a little bit of trouble with the line, so we're going to go to a break and come right back. So uh, this, we're going to a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Chuck Jaffe. He's a personal finance journalist. Um, and we'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there. Struggling to keep up with credit card payments? Searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt? Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Has your small business been turned down for a loan by the bank? Is lack of capital hindering your business growth? Small businesses unable to obtain bank financing or tired of merchant cash advances can now get the financing they need. 
Corporate lending solutions provide short and long-term capital, revolving lines of credit, and unsecured business loans. Does your business need help with payables, supplies, or payroll? Corporate Lending Solutions has powerful programs to help. While getting a small business loan can be a long, daunting process, with Corporate Lending Solutions, it's simple and takes only one to three days. Call 800-261-6478 or visit CorporateLendingSolutions.com to learn more. 800-261-6478. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chuck Jaffe. He is a professional financial journalist. His uh, website and uh, podcast is called The Money Life Show at his website, moneylifeshow.com. Welcome back to the show, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, you recently worked for something called The Raging Bull, uh, which is a stock trading service. So tell me a little bit about the difference in mindset between somebody who's got a trading mentality and somebody who's got a longer-term investing mentality now that you've been exposed to both? Well, it's important for people to understand that Raging Bull was, you know, I went to work for RagingBull.com, which is a site run by traders for traders. There was a previous iteration of Raging Bull, and it 
got it, where it started it as a message board back in the early days of the Internet. But it's now run for and by traders, and I joined them, helping them work up an editorial operation. And I learned a lot doing it because, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to be a trader. I don't need to be like a trader. But the trader's mindset, I think, helps a lot of things. You know, we're used to saying, oh, if you're going to be a market timer, you have to be right 50% of the time, right? As you make a trade, you have to make a good decision when you get in and a good decision when you get out. But that's not how traders' math actually works. That's how the uneducated thinks about trading. Traders are thinking, I'm going to buy a position, and we'll just use very simplified numbers. I'm thinking, if I hit it right, I'll, make 50, I'll be up 50 cents. But if I'm wrong and it goes down 5 cents, I'm going to be out, right? So if they hit it right, and we'll now just assume that they, they do 10 trades and that they hit the maximum in either direction. So their first trade goes up 50 cents, and their next nine trades all lose a nickel. Well, nine times a nickel is 45. They're still positive, even though they were only right 10% of the time. And that's important for people who want to think about, okay, how do I size a trade? How do I think about a trade? Because I think a lot of investors don't. It's amazing to me when people will share their portfolios with me, and they are spending a tremendous amount of their brain space on something that's not worth a lot. Like, you know, they, they have 20 shares of some stock and it's worth $1,000, but they have a $500,000 portfolio. And they spend as much brain space on the 1000 as they do on something that's worth ten or 100000 And that makes investing much harder than it needs to be. Traders, the lack of emotion, the let's come up with a system, let's do something that I believe in and never act against that system. Let's size our trades correctly. It was fascinating working around and with traders because they were able to do such a good job of removing emotion of I made a mistake, but I you know, got out in a way that protected me. I minimized my loss. And let's get right back to it. And I think for a lot of investors, that's the opposite of what happens. They, you know, are riding around, and when the next bull market comes, they're going to go, oh, my goodness, I stayed in too long. I have no idea when to get back in. And they're going to wind up being on the sidelines. And there are still people on the sidelines who have missed the entire bull market. And that's a shame. Traders would never let that happen. So who should be a trader and who should be an investor? What is the, the mindset you need to be a successful trader in today's volatile market? Well, somebody who's going to be a trader needs to have a system that they believe in. And that's first and foremost. And then an area where they think, not that they can have an advantage on the entire market, but where they have an edge, they have an understanding, they see how things work. Even the best traders, and it was interesting, like one of the traders who I worked with was a guy named Jason Bond, and at a time, Jason got into trading ETFs, and he quickly realized when he looked back at his own trades that that's where he was making the mistakes, and a good trader says, wait, I'm not a good trader in that space. I won't do it. So you have to be somebody who knows yourself if you're going to be a good trader. You have to be somebody who's willing to take the risks, but also willing to live with the system. These guys are merciless about, I made the money I expected to, and even if I think it's going up right now, unless things tell me, like, on my model, that I should stay in, I'm out. It was never any emotion. So, for one, if you're going to be a trader, you need to be unemotional. 
Two, you have to have a system that's going to work with you that you're going to stick with in all methods, even when it's not working. So you have to have the ability to say, I've got the emotional discipline here. Then you've got to be somebody who's willing to size your trades properly. If you see something that looks great, you don't get to suddenly go, oh, let me make this a much bigger trade because that's putting much more of your capital to risk. These guys are disciplined. They only put a certain amount of money to risk in any given trade. So like I gave that example of the guy who's spending too much brain space on the thing that's you know only $1,000 when they have you know, a, a half a million dollar portfolio, it's the other way. You wouldn't also want them to be going, oh, well, I've got, you know, $200,000 into something because I think it's going to go great. No, that's dangerous as well. So anybody can be a trader, but the people who are successful at it, they're going to do it with some of their money and they're going to be highly disciplined. And if you don't have the discipline, don't go there because if you can't recognize who the dumb money is at the poker table, it's probably you. Is that a better alternative for some people who don't have the mentality to be traders to either do just pure indexing or artificial intelligence trading? Well, I, I think whether it's computer-assisted investing, artificial intelligence investing, whatever you want to call it, or plain indexing, I think there's a place for people who are buying a portfolio and just holding it indefinitely. I mean, at its simplest, Indexing works because you're saying, I want to participate in the market, and I want to do it over the long haul. And yes, you don't have to do anything more complicated than, you know, go get a, a total market fund for your stock portfolio and a total bond market fund for your bond portfolio and a money market fund. And you can make a portfolio out of here's my asset allocation and I'll rebalance every year or two and leave it at that. And you could get along just fine. So nobody needs to go out and do this stuff. And I think that's part of it. I think where people get into trouble is that they kind of do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And they wind up without really any direction and they're always kind of making one move or another that's maybe a little bit against their core beliefs instead of saying, this is what I believe in, let's go do it. And yeah, I think the vast majority of people would benefit dramatically from, I own a few things, they are very good, I know them inside and out, and I expect to own them for the rest of my life. For all kinds of things, to trace their budget and do payments and all kinds of things. You think people have gotten a little carried away with financial apps. What is wrong with the financial apps uh, and the way people are using them these days? Well, I think there's good and bad. And as I've been exposed to more of them, I've come around to recognize certain things. I mean, you know, I always thought it was ridiculous when... I can't remember which insurance company it was, but they would talk about how, you know, it was the one, it was whoever was using the pig. I guess it was Geico, but I, I don't know who it was. They had the pig who's like trying to make his payments when he's on the airplane. And I'm like, you know what, if you need an app to make your payments so you don't make a late payment when you're heading on vacation, chances are pretty good that you need to get better control of your finances. You shouldn't be running that risk anyway. But they say that a lot of people are using the apps in a lot of different ways, and they're not always as intended. There are a lot of apps that are designed to help people save but they're designed to be long-term savings, to put them, say, into that index fund that you can get a little bit of money in, et cetera. And what they find is that the average person who goes in there saves a couple of hundred bucks, and then they need that couple of hundred, so they take it. Well, great. Then they expose their money to a lot of market risk over a short period of time. 
if the market happens to turn down right before they need it, they're kind of skunked. It's not how you or I would ever tell anybody, save an emergency fund or a short-term whatever. So I think a lot of the issue that I have with apps are that it has people sort of doing the wrong things, and at times it encourages them to do the wrong things. It encourages them to check their portfolio all the time. Well, the more often you check your portfolio, the more you're going to feel like, I have to do something, when for most of the times, the best thing you could do is nothing. And things along those lines, I think, are where the apps become a problem. Look, there are definitely people who are helped by them, who benefit from them, and who should keep doing what they're doing. I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about the people who kind of get sucked into it and... Suddenly, they're long-term investors, but they know, did the market go up or down this morning? They know what their net worth is down to a penny when they went to lunch. That's not good. That's a sickness. And at some point, that's going to wind up causing you to act when you shouldn't or do those other sorts of things. And I think that's the problem. A lot of these apps are going to be stress-tested the next time we have a serious market meltdown. Very good. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Halloween. One of the things you do at Halloween is you give money out to the trick-or-treaters. So explain how that works, what you're trying to do, and what people are learning from the experience of you giving the money on Halloween. Well, I started doing this a couple of years ago, and it, was, it started as, as trick-or-trade, and then it became trick-trade-or-treat. And it only applies to the kids. And I get about 100 kids a year. I live in a in a neighborhood where if you come into our neighborhood, every house, every street ends in a cul-de-sac. So you can drive in, but eventually everything is a dead end. So there's not a lot of through traffic. It's a great place for kids to be trick-or-treating. So I started a couple years ago where I basically offered the kids who were third grade and up the opportunity to take three pieces of candy from my candy dish or to take an envelope. And then I changed it. I, I, so, but that was the basic premise, and I'll tell you how I changed it in a moment. The, the first year I did it, it was basically three pieces of candy. Assume they're fun-sized pieces, so they're worth 12.5 cents. Figure, you know, you get 37.5 cents as your expected return if you walk up my driveway to, to ring my bell. And I was giving you between 25 cents and $5. So you had a little bit of downside on your expected return and a lot of upside. And the first time I did it, pretty much everyone who could, with one or two exceptions, took the money. My favorite story about that was the one kid who watched as six of her friends... Oh, I'm sorry, this occurred after the change. So the change I made was, in order to... You could, get, you could not take any candy and get an envelope, but the envelope only had between $0.25 cents and $2.50, or... You could let me take, at random, one piece of candy from you, and then you could take an envelope that would have between 50 cents and $5. So if you think about it here, 37.5 cents was your expected return when you came up. If you let me take a piece of candy, that's adding 12.5 cents to it. So at 50 cents is your investment. You could break even if you got a 50-cent envelope, or you could make 10 times your money. If you didn't let me take any candy, and my eight-year-old neighbor told me when I had first explained this idea to her, she said, there's no way you're getting my candy, Mr. Jaffe. But, but she wound up swapping out. If you didn't take the candy, well, 
you could actually lose money on your expected return coming up, or you could make a little bit, but it was much less. And the one kid who I thought did the best was the kid who wanted, who watched as she was there with six friends, and each of the friends gave up candy. And it happened that, you know, I would take the candy and put it at the top of my candy dish. So she gets to pull three things off my candy dish, and she knows her favorite candy. There's three of them right at the top. So she's like, no, 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 I'll keep the candy. And she took three of her favorites. That was perfect. She got exactly what she wanted for her money. It's exactly how she should have used it because she got exactly what she wanted. But almost every kid takes the money. Excellent. Okay, very good. All right, we're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Chuck Jaffe. He's a personal finance journalist. He was at the Boston Globe for many years. He was at Market Watch. He now has a podcast called The Money Life Show, which you can see at moneylifeshow.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chuck Jaffe. He's a personal finance journalist. He used to be at the Boston Globe. He used to be at Market Watch. 
He now has a podcast called The Money Life Show, and you can see more about that at moneylifeshow.com. Welcome back to the show, Chuck. Great, Great to still be here. I, I love getting all this time with you. So uh, it, you've been covering mutual funds for many years, but what's coming on much stronger are ETFs, or exchange-traded funds. What are the advantages, as you see it, between an exchange-traded fund and a mutual fund? And you also have an ETF of the week. Why would you... Uh, how do you pick specific ETFs? Well, well the, the ETF, ETF of the week is on my show, and, and it's, it's picked, picked by Tom Ryden, who runs ETFTrends.com, who is one of our guests. And we try to make it various things. Now, Tom runs ETFTrends.com, which is a trend-following site, so he typically is looking at things that might be above their 200-day moving average. That's a way that you see that something has been doing well recently, and it's a good way to kind of ride the wave if you want to be doing that. It's kind of bringing traders' mentality to investing in mutual funds. But let's go back to the base question of ETFs versus mutual funds. You know, I have people every now and again say, oh, I don't invest in mutual funds. I invest in ETFs. They are all mutual funds. It's just that calling them exchange-traded mutual funds is too, too darn long. So they're exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, and think of it this way. An Audi and a Volkswagen are two different cars that share the same chassis. In other words, if you happen to drive the right Audi, you could have the same exact chassis as I have on my Volkswagen Passat. But it's built so that it becomes an Audi instead of a Volkswagen. ETFs are mutual funds that, rather than trading like mutual funds, they trade like stocks. So what you've got is a moment-by-moment pricing instead of with a traditional mutual fund waiting till the end of the day. You have the advantage of complete transparency. You always know what's in the fund and more. And while they have become very popular, what I would caution investors about is this. If you own traditional index ETF, uh, index mutual funds. You invested a long time ago in the Vanguard Index 500 or something. There's not a lot of reason to make a change. Yes, you might find that the ETF version is a little bit more cost-effective, that the expense ratio is just a hair lower, but it's not going to be much more than a hair. And if you have to pay taxes as you move money around, that's not so great. You also have to worry about when you're buying an ETF, can you buy it on a commission-free basis? Because you can always invest into a no-load mutual fund and never pay any charges of investing, where because they trade like stocks, ETFs, you sometimes have to face commission charges. So once you know how they work, it's just a different type of mutual fund, and it's which type works best for you. The advantage to mutual to ETFs is that, yes, if you want, you can trade them. In fact, traders use them all the time. But... Average people, average people, if you want to buy the S&P 500, you can buy it in a mutual fund, you can buy it in an ETF, and chances are you won't really notice the difference over time. Many years, given what you call the lump of coal awards in the mutual fund business, I'm sure that makes you very popular with the mutual fund people. What are some examples of lump of coal awards, and what are some of the most egregious things that mutual funds are doing to investors these days? 
Well, yeah, I, I've given out lumps of coal for about 20 years, and I don't care whether or not I'm popular with people who are in the fund industry. You know, to me, these days, where we're worrying about things with the fund industry is when are things misleading or miscategorized? How are people getting stuff that they shouldn't be getting or or buying funds that shouldn't be purchased? You know, if you take a look at things like how Bitcoin is being played in the fund industry, right? We know everybody's got this huge interest in in cryptocurrencies, but... Like if you look at Morningstar and Morning, and you go to the Bitcoin Investment Trust, which is sort of a quasi-fund that is supposed to invest in Bitcoin. If you look at how Morningstar sees its assets, Morningstar sees it as 0% of its assets invested in stock, because Bitcoin isn't a stock. 0% invested in bonds, because it's not a bond. 0% invested in cash, which is interesting because it is a currency. And 0% of its investments in other, which would be those alternative investments we were talking about. So in other words, it's got 100% of its portfolio technically invested in nothing. That's the kind of thing that doesn't help investors at all. You know, they've got to go off and figure out what it is that they want to do and how they want to do it. So we're seeing a lot of things come up around the Bitcoin space because investors are interested. Most of them are bad ideas or they're poorly executed or they're problematic. And unfortunately, investors aren't going to recognize a lot of that for a while until Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies have bigger problems. But they could, and and we'll see how that plays out. I think in terms of other issues that you see with the fund industry right now, well, we've been talking about the use of ETFs. So there's been an interesting trend among investors, and especially with financial advisors. If you look at the flow of money into funds, it is very obvious that passive investments, which typically means buying index funds, are much more popular than active investments, which means hiring a manager to beat the market. Basically, everybody has decided you cannot beat the market, so just buy the index. However, to then differentiate themselves, a lot of financial advisors are saying, oh, well, we're going to invest tactically. We're going to tell you when you want to be maybe a little more S&P 500 versus when you want to be some sort of index that's in a, about the emerging markets and when you want to tilt your portfolio towards a technology index versus when you want to have it in cash or tilted towards a healthcare index. And what's happening here is you have passive investments, but you're actively managing them. You're not actively managing them at the fund level. You're paying an advisor to actively manage passive investments. So if you think about a guy like Jack Bogle, the father of index funds, and all of his lessons, he's telling you the benefits of buy and hold, get the index, get what it's going to give you, be happy with that. But what you have people doing is actively managing passive investments. And oh, by the way, they add cost to it, and that makes it a very bad idea. Indexing doesn't work when the costs go up. They're just raising the cost but not doing it at the level of the fund, and people are being fooled that this is somehow a good strategy.
investment, and it's going to be going up dramatically. If you wanted to play it, and you don't want to do it through the mutual fund, uh, do you do it through a Coinbase, or how would you play cryptocurrencies if you think it's a good idea to at least put some of your money in what is truly an alternative asset? Well, A, I don't think it's a good idea to put anything but your complete, I want to take a flyer risk capital into any of the cryptocurrencies right now. I think you have to recognize some of the things that are coming with cryptocurrencies and realize that this is way beyond even what most people are thinking. You know, let's face it. When Amazon.com creates its currency, and yes, it's going to, when it creates its currency that you can use to buy things on its site and maybe get discounts or whatever, depending on what you're using, you will have a new type of currency that will totally change things. What you've got with the cryptos right now is a lot of people hoping that they're going to wind up being the one. But until cryptos are widely acceptable, they're not all that useful. They are a true alternative investment class, but I'm not sure you want to invest in them. So for me, if somebody really wants to take a flyer on cryptos, I would say take a look at anybody who's doing stuff involving the blockchain. Because rather than bet on a cryptocurrency or a few cryptocurrencies, and we're going to see some cryptocurrency mutual funds, as soon as the SEC figures out how to, how to basically say this is how they're invested, you're going to see it happen. There's a couple of things in the drawing board, a lot of things in registration. But I would be more focused on blockchain, the technology that's going to allow this to happen, than I would the cryptos themselves. You know, Weiss Ratings came out with an evaluation of 93 different cryptocurrencies, and there are thousands of them. But they came out with a rating of basically the 93 largest, and none of them were rated as investable. And that includes Bitcoin. So I found that an interesting sort of approach. And yeah, I couldn't get my head around owning any of them with anything but my, I want to take a flyer money. So how would you invest in blockchain? Are there some specific companies or mutual funds that you are a way to play the blockchain? Well, there are definitely some companies that are blockchain related. We are starting to see the formation of some, some mutual funds that are looking to buy blockchain companies. You know, I think, Jordan, and you're old enough and I'm old enough to remember like when the Internet was first becoming a thing, right? And back in those days, you wound up seeing the first Internet fund and then the second and then the fifth and the 25th Internet fund. And what distinguished different Internet funds back in those days was you'd have a fund that was, I invest in the Internet by literally buying anybody that has a web address. So you could have found Sears as an internet company because they had Sears.com and they were doing some measure of commerce over the internet. And then you had what they called pure play internet funds and they weren't buying the retailers or whatever. They were buying the companies that were basically building and or changing the internet. And I think that's what you need to be looking at a blockchain. Companies where if you're finding a fund, you're finding the NVIDIAs of the world more than you are finding somebody who's trying to uh, you know, make their money by saying that they do something with cryptos. And that, to me, is where it'd go. I haven't seen any mutual fund yet 
that I could come out and say, this is one that I would look at and consider. I think there are some coming, but you're going to have to have a stomach for buying new funds that are untested and unproven. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Chuck Jaffe. He's a personal finance journalist. Uh, he is also has a podcast called The Money Life Show, which you can see more about at moneylifeshow.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Looking for an investment option? Consider Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. Secured Real Estate Income Strategies is a real estate-backed option offering investments with a monthly income objective. The goal of the strategy is to lend money to real estate developers. SREIS offers an 8% preferred return per annum, plus a share in any profits. While there is risk, including loss of capital, and you should carefully read the offering circular for full details, Secured Real Estate Income Strategy screens each real estate loan carefully. Call 888-444-2102 or visit securedrealestatefunds.com to learn more. 888-444-2102. Jordan Goodman is an advisor to and part owner in Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. This does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. Securities offered through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chuck Jaffe. He's a personal finance journalist. Uh, his podcast is called Money Life Show at moneylifeshow.com. Welcome back to the show, Chuck. We're glad, glad to be here still. Let's talk about health insurance. The, the health insurance market is changing dramatically. People don't have the mandate to have to buy it anymore. What is your expectation of what's going to happen to the health insurance market and premiums? Post well, I, I'm, in, I'm the in the process of having to change my own health care, so I'm looking at this both on a broad level and a personal level right now. Uh, you know, 
I think eventually we have to see some sort of a change that occurs at the congressional level, but I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't think you can get anything done right now that's going to help. So in the interim period, I think that people are going to have to make some very difficult choices, and those choices will be based on you know, what, how much are you willing to self-insure. And I think that what will be very interesting to see is how, as I'm looking out at it right now, and I'm a 56-year-old guy looking to get an insurance policy, I only need to cover my youngest daughter, and I'm only going to be allowed to cover her until she's 26. She's in graduate school. That's, That's the only right. one I have to cover. But as I look at insurance, I can see myself buying a certain amount of insurance now, which would be a little higher for me because I have some negative heart history or what have you, and I want to have a certain level of service. But that gets more expensive because I want more things covered as I get a little bit older. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And then the question becomes what happens with Medicare and Medicaid to protect me when I get to become you know, a senior and I'm not working anymore. It's going to be scary stuff because, you know, if you look at inflation and you take out, you, you basically say, okay, let's not calculate CPI. Let's just calculate the multipliers. And there's basically seven groups that have little multipliers that say, okay, what percentage of your income goes to housing, for example? Well, CPI basically assumes that almost one-third of your money goes to housing costs, and that's insurance and shelter and everything else that goes into your house and your mortgage. Well, if you're 75 years old and you paid off your mortgage, you're not spending 30% of your income on housing. And for most people, it kind of says, oh, you're spending like 11% on health care. Well, if you're 75 years old, you're spending a lot more on health care. And health care inflation is a lot higher than housing inflation. So where it becomes scary is you're a 75-year-old and they're telling you, hey, inflation, it's 2%. But in your household, inflation's like 9%. And until we get ways that we can solve it, and I don't know what they are, it's going to be a problem for everybody. You've also written several books about uh, hiring financial advisors. So briefly, what are some tips you would give to people on how to find good financial advisors as opposed to self-interested ones who are not going to give you good advice for you? Well, start with the idea that Providence is not going to smile upon you and bring you a great advisor just because you need one. Because the vast majority of people talk to one advisor. It's frequently somebody that they met or somebody that some friend knew or whatever. They bumped into somebody at a party, and the person happens to be a financial advisor. They go, ah, fate smiled on me and brought me a financial advisor just when I needed one. You know, if you want to get an advisor, go and interview a couple. Because until you've interviewed two, you could have a terrible advisor. But if they tell you, hey, I'm going to do the following things for you. I'm going to evaluate your overall portfolio. I'm going to try to put you into these kinds of investments and whatever. Until you've talked to two, you don't have a basis for comparison. So make sure that you interview several advisors that you do background checks on brokercheck.org, which is FINRA's thing if you're using a broker. Make sure you understand if they're putting their best interest first and are required to. Make sure you understand what they are selling you and what you're going to get for your money. Like, know that up front before you ever agree with somebody. And by the way, if they don't want to tell you these things or they kind of balk at answering your questions, well, if they don't answer your questions before they've got your money, imagine how they're going to respond to you when they've got your money. Right? Right? 
when they don't have your money, they should be bending over backwards for you. If they're not, they've told you how they're going to be as an advisor, and I don't care if they're a good advisor or not. They're not a good advisor for you because you've asked questions and they haven't helped you. Talk briefly about the tax bill. We've had this major tax bill now uh, where a lot of people are going to have the standard deduction and not have itemized deductions anymore. How should people approach filling out their taxes and tax strategy differently under the new tax law than the old tax law? Well, Well, I think for, for a lot of people, they were used to getting certain deductions. They're not going to get them examined to see whether or not this changes your spending patterns or take a look and see whether or not certain things, which might still be deductible, are going to be things where you want to bunch your expenses and things along those lines. Like on some of the healthcare stuff, if you know where you stand on healthcare, there are some people who can take a healthcare deduction, but they can only do it every couple of years. Well, the answer is, you know, make sure that in the year where you think your health expenses are up, that you put everything into that year, hoping that you can do it. I think for most people, this should simplify things. I'm not sure that most people will come away happy in the end, but who comes away happy when they're dealing with Uncle Sam? So uh, a lot of baby boomers are getting to retirement now and not having close to enough to live a decent lifestyle, but they're going to retire. They're not going to be getting income from their work anymore. What would you recommend for baby boomers who've kind of reached, and it's not going to look so like a golden retirement here? Well, for starters, I would disagree with that statistic. Jordan, because the Employee Benefit Research Institute has done some really interesting stuff that kind of suggests that there's a myth about people outliving their retirement savings. Now, it's not because people have necessarily saved so much that they're all golden. It's that even the people who don't save nearly enough basically change their lifestyle and find ways to get by on what they've got. So we're not seeing people who are like going straight to dog food or what have you. But what I would say is this, you're going to have to get by on what you've got. Like, wait, take a look at that study. Go find it. It's the Employee Benefit Research Institute. Our mutual friend, Gail Marks Jarvis, wrote a fabulous piece about it. She and I actually discussed it on my show about the myth about living your retirement savings. But go take a look at some of that research and go, okay, you know, what these people are doing is they are living within their means even when they haven't set their means up to be so good. Well, if that's you and you're getting towards retirement, you'd better think about how ugly things could be if you haven't saved enough. Maybe you're going to have to work a little bit longer, or maybe you've got to start talking to the family members about how you can do some other things. Because, no, you probably don't have to go all the way to dog food or cat food, but you could be looking at a long time where you're trying to milk a very sh- small nest egg and getting there. And, and, you know, I once was involved, and I think you re- may recall, I was involved in helping to syndicate a comic that was called Simple Interest. And the one that we did that went viral was a one where there's, there's a doctor, and the doctor is seen in the talk bubble saying, I'm sorry, Bill, but you've only got six months to live. And the line underneath it was, Bill finds out that at last he's financially set for life. Don't Don't be that guy. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Chuck Jaffe. Uh, He's a personal finance journalist. He was at the uh, Boston Globe for many years, at Market Watch for many years. He has a regular uh, daily uh, podcast called The Money Life Show, which you can see more about at moneylifeshow.com. Thanks so much. We covered a lot of interesting guy, Chuck. Thanks, Thanks for having, for having me, Jordan. Let's do it again sometime.
Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.